This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And we are here with you on Thursday morning. If you're listening to us live, you might later on be listening to us on demand. So, hi, back. (laughs) (laughs) We have had a great show. We've talked about... um, the Economy League here in Philadelphia. We just got off with Maya Korengel, um, who is the senior partner at the TPG Rise Fund. And for our listeners, if, you were, if you're joining us from the last segment, we were talking um, about a Harvard Business Review article that Maya also co- co-authored, um, and that's called Calculating the Value of Impact Investing. And that's where they break down the impact multiple of money a little bit more if you want to find out more. Yeah, and again, for, um, you know, having TPG in this area, you know, playing this this uh, arena is just a huge asset because they bring credibility, but they bring a lot of resources as well. Well, right? I think that's one of the key points. Yeah, exactly. And so they're really able to sort of move ahead on some of these issues around understanding impact, tying in academic research because they do have the resources. Yeah. So we are moving on to our third guest. I'd like to welcome Neville Crawley, the CEO of Kiva to the show. Welcome to the show, Neville. Hey, morning. Good morning. It's so I, I don't think I ever thought I'd say welcome to the show, Neville. So <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. Excellent. Great to be here. So Neville, tell. I think some of our listeners may actually be familiar with Kiva, but for those who aren't, can you tell us a little bit more about what Kiva is? Yeah, sure. So we're we're an international nonprofit. We're founded in 2005, based in San Francisco. Uh, our mission is around helping. Um, to expand financial access to underserved communities. And for, for folks who, who are familiar with Kiva, they're probably familiar with the Kiva.org website where we crowdfund loans to, in $25 increments to, um, to then make those loans to um, underserved communities in 80 countries around the world. We've, we've funded about $1.2 billion to that website since Kiva launched. And so where do those loans go? Yeah, so we so they they go to around eighty countries, including the U.S., but but also including countries like Kenya, Cambodia, Sierra Leone, all around the world. And those loans are going to people who who would say are at the bottom of the economic pyramid. So they're often living on a few dollars a day, and the loan is for something like buying buying dry goods to. Um, Start a start a local store, or to buy a cow, or to buy a water filter. So these kind of like a few hundred dollar loan to buy a, a pretty sort of foundational thing, which which can be quite transformational to someone's life. And for you know the listeners who aren't uh, intimately familiar with Kiva, explain why loans and not donations and grants. Yeah, so, so we have a few different uh, we have a few different thoughts on loans versus donations. I mean, I mean, clearly donations play a big part in poverty alleviation as well. But when we think about loans, one is we we have a ninety seven percent repayment rate on the spending. So when people participate in this with Kiva, you can, you can actually recycle the money from a from a lender's perspective. You can make many many loans. So we sort of in some ways they talk about taking idle capital, you know, the few hundred dollars that, that we might have and putting that to really good use again and again and again. And also our view is that a loan 
is, is a sort of a fundamentally different relationship and is in many ways um, more empowering to the end borrower. So I, I was mentioning at the top of the show that I was struck that um, when I, I was recently in Nashville at my alma mater and they actually have the entire freshman class at the beginning of the year um, go on like they, they have purchased or, you know, given out twenty five dollars per student and the students get to choose where that money I love that goes. Idea. Um Tell us about the types of people that are on the platform and, you know, some of those bigger partnerships potentially. Yeah, so, so some of the lenders, you mean? Right, the lenders. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we, have, we have a very, very broad range of lenders on the platform. So one of the, one of the things I think is so powerful about Kiva is really it, it democratizes um, doing this kind of work. You know, literally anyone with an internet connection can come on and start making a $25 loan. So we have, you know, I think every possible demographic as a lender on Kiva. And then we also do work with um, with corporations and and you know, um, educational institutions, and like you just described. Increasingly, um, we we work with partners who will, as you said, give twenty five dollar Kiva cards to all of their employees or kind of all of their students, and let everyone make a loan and choose their own loan, and they find that's just such a such a fantastic way to get that um, to get that engagement but also let people have control over where they're directing those funds and where they're having impact. And so if I go on and I have a $25 Kiva card and I'm going to sort of direct the loan, what do I see? So is it like country specific? Is it sector specific? Or am I sort of like, I know I'm funding Cheryl in Philadelphia and her venture? Yeah, so I think that's the really beautiful thing about Kiva. When you go to Kiva.org website, you see you see the individual and you you see their picture, and you have the story and the description of of what the loan is for. So it it, it really it really is that um, that connection that I think is so special about Kiva. And so Neville, you just recently started at uh, Kiva, and yeah, um, what what big things do you see coming up? What what's next for Kiva? I mean, you've got your you know you've got this model that clearly works and has has been really um, impactful in multiple ways. Are you sort of seeing any next steps that you want to bring the, the organization to? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I've been at Kiva for a little over a year now. And it's uh, obviously it's such an honor to join Kiva and to take this mission forwards. And but because, of the, because of the history of over 13 years and more than a billion dollars of lending and a, and a very well-known brand, we have a real opportunity, I think, to not only continue do, doing what we're doing, but also do bigger things and or, or, or additional things in service of our mission. So I was very fortunate when I joined to be able to take really the first uh, two or three months just to get out into the field and sit down with our end borrowers and sit down with our lenders and meet, meet financial institutions and really try and understand what impact we were having in the world and what impact we could have in the world. So a few different things from this. One is I think it's very, it's very clear to us that the the current model, the Kiva.org crowdfunding platform, there's just much more. There's much more we can do. There's many more ways that we can meet lenders, um, you know, on on mobile in kind of new modalities that will continue to grow that work. So we're one was we're excited about continuing to do that. That's number one. Um, not number two. Um, you know, we work with 500 financial institution partners and small and growing businesses around the world, 
And you know, when I when I really sat down with them and talked about what they're doing, it's also really obvious that that, that more capital is more impactful for them. So we're we're crowdfunding a certain amount of capital, um, which is very valuable. But also, if we could provide them with larger amounts of money, so you know, half a million, a couple of million dollars, that that would be very transformational for them as well. So we're we're actually launching a sort of an equivalent of the crowdfunding, but for institutional capital, for endowments and asset management firms and whatever to to participate in. So that's uh, we expect to be launching that this year. And then the 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 third thing that we're working on is really the the under you know, sitting down with the end, the end borrowers, what became really clear to us is that there there are systemic barriers to full financial inclusion. So Kiva loans can can be transformational to an individual life to get someone from you know from really not having not having any kind of forward motion to being able to you know basically get a cow and get a second cow and kind of build a farm up, but that. That isn't always when when they pay back for the first cow loan and the second cow loan. That isn't always recorded in a way that a future financial institution mm. can look at. So it's not tied to an identity always, and that credit history is very frequently not recorded. So the other project that we're that we're uh, that we just launched in Sierra Leone is a project called Kiva Protocol, which aims to bring financial identity and credit history to everyone in Sierra Leone. And done in a way that we can roll that out globally, which which means that any time, um, which which with the goal of giving everyone financial identity and everyone credit history, the, the full 1.7 billion people who are outside the financial system, so that when they borrow and repay, they get credit for it and they can move up the financial ladder over time. So that's really interesting um, because I'm I'm quite familiar with many startups that do sort of alternative credit ratings. Um, And maybe this isn't as alternative because there actually is a loan. And and you guys have, I think, almost a 97% repayment rate, which is quite crazy considering that you've been around for 14-ish years. And have loaned so much. Right. And so um, it makes a ton of sense to me that someone with – or an organization like Kiva with sort of the institutional history and infrastructure could do this at a scale – and in, you know, across multiple countries in a way that a lot of these other startups can't. So is that sort of the market opportunity that you saw? Yeah, that's 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 exactly what we saw that we have we have that we have you know, history and credibility and data and all of these things that we can bring the resources to this problem to get it going. And and also, you know, when in the in Sierra Leone, we're working with two UN agencies and the government of Sierra Leone. So our view is quite strongly that this needs to be part of the financial system, not an alternative financial system. The goal here is to actually to bring people in to the full financial system that you and I are part of. And can you, you know, without revealing trade secrets or anything, can you tell us how this is going to work? So let's say I'm a, you know, a woman living in Sierra Leone. I'm, I'm doing raising cows for, you know, resources, et cetera. How do, how do I develop a credit history now? And why couldn't I have done that before? Yeah, so the, so the so the couple of things that so we're we're in the process of implementing it in Sierra Leone right now. Uh-huh. But, um, at, at a high level, you, you can imagine a you can imagine a farmer literally not having an identity, right? So they might so they they might they'll would borrow money, 
basically on the on, on the basis of sort of being known. You know, it could be from a village moneylender, could be from a local credit union, but it's really um, it's informal identity, mm-hmm. and so that and that identity is tied to to that individual loan. So then, if a person were to you know, go to a bank and say, "Well, you know, can I borrow a loan? Can I can I borrow some money, or can I you know, get some financial product?" They wouldn't be able to trace that those previous loans had been made and repaid. So that's the kind of the core of identity mm-hmm. is being able to take your you know, tie all of your actions to a single identity. So we're that's the the first piece of it, and then the second piece is literally a a database, a ledger where all of those um, payments and repayments are securely stored, and so that. For our viewers, it's very, very important that it's the individual, the end farmer, who has the exclusive ability to reveal that credit data to who, who they want to, when they want to. So it's a very human-centric design. So for the folks on the that have been on the platform before and they have a, a good credit rating, is this sort of eventually going to be retroactive? Like, yay, I wake up today and I, you know, I've already had a history with Kiva. Now I have a credit report. So that, that's a good question. I mean, we're sort of working through the extent to which we can retroactively include um, include data. Yeah, but you, you obviously there's all kinds of data privacy laws and data protection laws. So we're mm-hmm. you know, we're being very mindful of how we include data. Got it. Um, I'm going to ask this on behalf of Cheryl. Does blockchain or anything <laughs> like that sort of play a role in the emerging strategy for you all? He knows I'm such a geek. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, so for, for Kiva Protocol, um, the the credit bureau um, and, and identity piece, so we do use some distributed ledger technology in there. Um, actually, we, we, we don't, we don't as in general, we don't talk about the technology too much because it can kind of get in the way of um, the impact that we're aiming to have in the world. Sure. But, but our view is the distributed ledger, particularly in the markets that we operate in, which are not necessarily high trust. Um, environments is a is a really really powerful technology. So yeah, right. I mean, Sierra Leone as an example. I mean, civil war. Yes, and Ebola, both. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, so this is a a country that has been just ravaged by disaster and and crisis. Yeah, you're not starting at low hanging fruit, but if you've got the government support on that, that's a huge a huge step. So yeah, exactly, and the you know the, the government the government and the UN have done um, over the last few years have done. Just really terrific work um, developing their financial regulation, developing a fintech sandbox, really kind of paving the way for this work. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we were speaking with Neville Crawley, the CEO at Kiva. Uh, you may know them from Kiva.org and, and Micro Lending. And so, Neville, um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit, sort of still talking about the future and where you're going. You sort of mentioned this earlier. Um, I'm going to paint a picture and then ask my question. So, Access to finance is a challenge in emerging markets, developing countries, period. You know, microfinance and sort of the the traditional Kiva model people may be familiar with. Um, I think we've talked on this show and through our work at the Warren Social Impact Initiative, we're quite also well aware of, you know, entrepreneurs finding that there's not a lot of money past the microfinance yeah. level. And then you sort of need to raise $25,000, maybe even up to a million dollars. And, you know, the finance there isn't or the financing isn't there at that level. Then it gets, you know, if you have the TPG Rise Fund, right. you know, looking to invest, that's way, way later down the road. So you sort of find this missing middle of capital. Is that sort of where you all are also looking to play? 
Yeah, for, for sure. So, we, we, so we we tend to call that SGB, small and growing business. And exactly what you said before, you're when you have sort of graduated or gone beyond the scale of some tens of thousands of dollars, and you haven't yet got to a half million or a million plus dollars, where you know private equity or other um, other types of capital can weigh in. There, there is absolutely our view is there's absolutely a missing middle, and we've done we. We have done quite a lot of work in that area, and we continue to to want to do more. We think that's a a hugely powerful place to play and can be very very catalytic for communities. The other thing that I think is interesting and where i'm I'm sort of playing devil's advocate and reading between the lines here, um I don't know what your model will be, but given that you have a debt based model, a loan model, right. um a lot of People, I believe in this in, in the impact investing space, believe that the equity model, sort of the venture capital model, at that at that missing middle stage, um, may not be appropriate for emerging markets, and it still should be sort of private debt. Is that does that resonate with you in terms of your future strategy? You know, I mean, on SGB, so we we're doing a lot of work trying to understand exactly this point. To maybe a slightly technical answer here is we we think the. We think the, the to make it economically viable for a provider of capital and to make it work for the receiver of capital, we, we think the structure probably needs to be a, a combination. So we, we talk about kind of micro-mezzanine, which has both mm-hmm. debt and equity-like features to make it affordable, but also, I mean, ultimately for this to really scale, it really scales best when it's a, a real investable asset class that lots of money can get behind. So, so we think there's probably actually debt equity hybrid structures, particularly in this SGB missing middle space, uh, are the, almost certainly going to be the best solution. And so, when you go into this this new approach, will it be changing the 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 kind of people that you're um, working with, the the recipients of the funding? Will you be looking more aggressively at larger companies will or will they have to find you how are you going to get to that that other group that i assume are are not totally on the current keeper platform yeah so 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 a classic example of this i was out in cambodia recently in um in rural cambodia and we work with a um a manufacturer of water filters out there so they make 50 60 dollar water filters that um these ceramic water filters that and when a for an, you know, an end user, for someone in a village, it's re- it's very transformational because rather than having to kind of walk a long way to the river and bring it back and then heat firewood to boil water and all the rest of it, you can have you know fresh drinkable water all of the time. So it saves many hours a day, it saves carbon footprint, all, all of these things. So so we work with that manufacturer on a credit program, so because fifty or sixty dollars can be quite unaffordable. Right for someone in the village, right. but then we can work with them so they can pay a couple of dollars a month, and it and it becomes affordable. So that that's a sort of a classic Kiva loan right now. But also, you know, when sitting down with them, they 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 could do a lot more good work. But they need they need a new kiln and they need some delivery trucks and so on. So they need exactly that SGB, half a million to a million dollars of capital to actually expand their business. So I think what we've found is from a lot of the loans that we've made, we're already tapped into those kind of social enterprises that could really benefit from this. So we, we sort of have inherent in what we do, there is this pipeline and we have we think we have really good insight into um, into folks who need that, 
that bit more capital. Neville, I wanted to go into a little bit of the operations of Kiva. Um, in my opinion, like having a presence on the ground in the markets where you're, you know, investing matters tremendously. And sort of you talked about human centered design, you know, that sort of talk about, you know, you're in San Francisco, but you're lending in emerging markets primarily, I think. Um, what's yep. your sort of on the ground presence in these countries? Yeah, so we have um, so we have offices in Nairobi and Bangkok, and we have um, folks out in you know dozens of countries, kind of at any time. We have this fellows program, so we're we're really committed to being on the ground, and we'll continue to expand our international presence. But yeah, we think it's just absolutely critical to to really be there and, and really understand what's needed, kind of not not just at an end market level, but an, an individual level. Does that play into the high repayment rate, you know, the success that's that great, you've seen? That's a great question, yeah. Yeah, so um, so I think it's, I mean, I think it's a, a few things. So we work with, um, we work with social enterprises and financial institutions at the kind of at the, at the last mile to identify the borrowers and to sort of manage that the kind of final mile. So I think uh, part of it is, you know, over the last more than decade, ability to select and work with and have positive relationships with those final final mile partners. I, I, I also think actually, I mean, there's just a bit of a misconception in some ways about the risk profile of certain types of borrowers. I mean, some right. We talk a lot about a perceived time. versus actual risk. Right. Right, and we, yeah, we did. We've, we've, I, I, you know, I believe we've substantially pioneered lending to refugees. And what we've proved is that refugees have almost exactly the same repayment rate as other people we lend to have a ninety six point seven or ninety six point six versus ninety six point seven percent repayment rate. And so, you know, one of the powerful things that we can do is use the crowdfunded capital to learn into lending to refugees and then take those results to other financial institutions and, as we say, kind of crowd in the market and say, hey, look, there's a fantastic set of customers here who have a perceived risk, which is different from the real risk. So you you should lend to them. Yeah, and that's actually a a really interesting point because I think that you're right. There is often this assumption about who's going to pay something back. Assumption is often based on either very little anecdotal evidence or just perceived bias. And if you're able to break that by sort of saying, no, we've actually done it and here's what we've got, that's a huge benefit. And it really sort of uh, girds different understanding about who should receive this capital. And Neville, um, you – I think throughout this segment, we have sort of talked implicitly about the impact of the Kiva model mm-hmm. and, and the end user. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you all monitor impact and maybe even a success story or two? Yeah, so, so we work – obviously, we work, we work really hard on, on our impact frameworks to try and understand what are the highest impact loans we could possibly be making. And I think you know, there's certain categories of loans like refugees that speak for themselves. Right. Um, it's also more than 90 percent of the borrowers on Kiva are women. So we're heavily weighted towards. Um, I knew it was high. I didn't know it was that high. Whole... Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, exactly. We, uh, we we could probably do more to, to promote and make that understood. Um, but the, yeah, there's a whole body of literature around that. So we, we do kind of 
aim to be strongly you know, rigorous and academic about understanding on the one hand. And on the other hand, as you said before, it's really about getting out there, you know, on the ground and, and also sort of understanding from a from a truly end borough perspective what what the loan is doing and what's what's happening. So I mean I, I can relate from from personal experience, um, again from a recent Cambodia trip, um, being out and meeting in a village and meeting uh, the, the village chief and meeting his wife and sitting down and yeah they've made they they have this a small farm with some rice and some mangoes, various things. And just talking about their financial life and talking about the the loans that they borrowed and that they'd repaid and their most recent loan and what it was for. And their most recent loan was to send their daughter to college. Mm. So they they have three kids, two two sons and a daughter. The two sons were already at college. Their third daughter, because the two sons were in college, the farm the farm wasn't providing enough money to send her at the same time, right? I mean, so the, so the loan is the most basic form of loan ever, really. They're bringing forward, you know, some of the money from the next year and the following year's harvest in order that they can have the money now so that their daughter can go to college. And it's just sort of so... The, the difference in their daughter's life of being able to go to college rather than kind of miss that window and then stay back in the village... It's just a profound difference, which I think, obviously, for her, for her life is is very, very different. But I think also for the overall village and for future generations, it's truly kind of putting on a different trajectory. So I think there's, as well as our very rigorous frameworks we work on, there's also just kind of being on the ground and truly understanding what the loan did. And I, I think that's, that's kind of very, very obvious. And I think something that we'd wish for anyone to have that opportunity. And so I just want to sort of revisit this. So if I had gone on to the Kiva platform, I would have seen that profile, right? I would have seen that story exactly. and said, yes, I can, yeah. I can lend to that. Exactly. And you'd exactly. You'd have seen the photo. You'd have seen a sort of brief description. Exactly. Okay. That's yeah. it. So, so Kiva lenders made that happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. And it's interesting because I, I don't know anything about Cambodian culture or sort of the village culture. Um, but you could imagine in other cultures where the third daughter doesn't, doesn't go. go to college. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, Kiva through maybe some financial literacy or sort of just like a presence sort of opened up that opportunity beyond just like the literal dollar amount and the loan. But I think that's really a great example. Yeah, thank you. So – we are coming to the end of our segment here, and um, you know we've talked a lot about the future, the strategy um, for Kiva, and you joined us so early in the morning out there on the West Coast. <laughs> you know, when you wake up in the morning and, and you've been in the job for a year, what are you most excited about as you think about the future of Kiva? Yeah, so I'm, the, the sad reality is that there are still nearly 2 billion people who are outside the formal financial system. So... The, the work ahead of us is to really bring about that systems change to take – it's probably something like a trillion dollars needs to flow from you know, developed markets into the end markets that, that we serve to, to, to get all of the capital that we need for, to change lives. So you know, we, we just wake up every morning and we think about how can we use technology, how can we use financial innovation to bring about that systems level change and – you know, get the get what we believe is a, a fundamental right 
to be able to participate in the global economy for those 2 billion people who are currently outside it. Well, that's that's great and, and some optimism, hopefully, for and our an listeners. inspiring vision. Absolutely. So thanks so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Neville Crawley, CEO at Kiva. We are going to take a short break, but when we get back, it will be our open segment where Cheryl and I sort of recap some of our guests. But I want to remind our listeners that one of the things about Dollars and Change, I think, is that it, we talk about the personal side. I mean, yeah. what we just ended with. And so you don't have to be an expert in business or, you know, know all of the things that you might learn at the Wharton School. And we really want to hear from you and like what your challenges are in the businesses that you're facing or think about the Economy League and sort of our cities and, and what's going on there from a public, private and sort of social impact perspective. So give us a ring at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four. 942-7866. We'd love to hear from you. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 